You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. My name is Kyle Worley, and I'm glad to be joined by my co-host, Jen Wilkin. Do y'all know Jen Wilkin? And I'm also joined by my other co-host, JT English. Hey, Kyle. That wasn't as loud for you. I'm aware um, <laughs> of my surroundings. And on, right today's, <laughs> on today's episode, we're also joined by the kind folks here at Proclaim Truth Conference, which is you. Yes. Along with speaker, author, poet, podcaster, teacher. I mean, anything else you want me to throw in here? Tired. Tired. <laughs> <laughs> Jackie Hill Perry. Y'all know Jackie? Jackie, we are so glad to have you on Knowing Faith. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, you are. Yeah, we're glad to have you. And listen, here's the deal. This is what I got to be honest with you about. A lot of times you come to these panels, these conferences. I was just talking about this with Jackie, so we're going to enter in full transparency with all the lights on. You come to these conferences, you see the people on the panel, and you're like, oh, I guess they must be old friends. I just met Jackie. Yeah. JT just met Jackie. Like 90 seconds ago. But we're buddies. But we're buddies. Like yeah. Kindred spirits. Because we're Christians. You mm-hmm. know, fellowship. Mm-hmm. Yes, and we are so glad to have you on. Uh, and uh, do you, you, production's telling me something from the back here. What do you need from me? No, no. You are yelling. Oh, I my am? Oh, oh my goodness. Okay, here we go. How. Boom. I got that for you right there. Is that better? Praise him. There yes. we go. <laughs> do you always hear me yelling in your ears? Is that a, like when we get done recording, yeah. is it just like it drones on, like a hum? Yeah. Okay. Is it still loud? Nope. Okay. Praise better. the Lord. Well, listen, um, I got to tell you, it's incredibly strange being two men at a women's conference. Do you feel that? I, yes. I've been here for about an hour. I've never been more aware uh-huh. of, like, I've, I've had some questions that I've never had to ask myself before that I've been asking myself. You're like, why? Earlier, they were, uh, they were like, are we too matchy with our outfits? <laughs> I, like, I swear happening? we did not coordinate this. What's but- happening? But it yes, feels like, but it feels like we happening. did. <laughs> you thought we were supposed to do that. Yeah, and I felt like uh, every place that we went to was a place I was not supposed to be. Yeah, you're like, are we ruining the vibe here? Because mm-hmm. if so, we just need somebody to tell us. you got to be really careful with the men's rooms at things like this, too. You're right. You I'd know. not even thought of yeah, that. You never Hang on. Yeah, I've been walking into them in just the confidence of the Lord, but now I'm going to be a little bit more nervous. <laughs> Just walking in like, here we go. This is a place that's for me. No? <laughs> no so any not. tips, Jackie, for navigating a women's conference effectively? I mean, for we're two noobs at this. We're like, we're brand new. Just, just sit in the back. So, oh. <laughs> there you Fair go. Enough. Intercede. Okay. okay, sit in the back and intercede. Okay, yeah. so stay out of the way. Yep. So it's cool that we're that sitting. That was a Christian way of saying that. Yeah, for sure. So it's cool that we're sitting in the dead center of this stage. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Great. I kind of wanted you to wear head coverings. Is that wrong? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been fantastic, right? Head coverings and me just knitting in the back. Tell you what, those right? head covering jokes, they play at the ladies' conference. <laughs> yeah, I think they play better from you than from me in this setting, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, listen, hey, we're really glad that you're here. I'm glad to be here. I know, JT, you're glad to be here? Really glad to be here. Excellent. Um, so, listen, uh, we're going to do some, we're going to talk through some things like we would normally on the podcast, but there's also going to be some time for questions at the end. And you can actually find a way to submit questions right here on the screens, slide.do. You can use the hashtag. KF Live 2020. You can do that from your phone, your tablet, your computer, your desktop, if you brought that with you. Um, but you can go here and you can ask some questions. I get to screen all the questions. And so if you ask a question and you're trying to get a hot take, you're not going to get it from this panel. But we would be glad to have your questions. You can throw them in there. And at the end of the show, we'll come back to those questions and talk through some of them together when we have time. But our topic for this episode and for today is illumination and inspiration of God's word. Like the connection between the word 
and the spirit. So you ever heard somebody say like word and spirit, or you might've heard somebody say, listen, you know, we're spirit filled church or man, I'm a spirit filled believer. And the reason we want to talk about it is a lot of times people talk about word and spirit or word people and spirit people, like there needs to be some kind of division between these two things, but nothing could be further from the truth. So we want to talk a little bit about that phrase and what it means when we think about the Bible and specifically that God inspired the Bible and then he opens up our eyes through illumination to read the Bible correctly. So let me just ask this real quick to get us started. When I say word and spirit, or when somebody uses that phrase, word and spirit, what do they mean? How are they using that phrase? If you hear it, what do they mean? No, you go on Everybody's, the cheat. Don't be looking at me like that. Well, we're that. afraid to be here, the first people to talk here, okay? <laughs> Last year at this conference, I disagreed with Jen publicly, oh, and gosh. I was very concerned that somebody was keying my car at that. Like, <laughs> like, so I'm not going into these waters first, uh, but you're just smiling at me, which makes me feel like I am. <laughs> so if I say word, word and spirit to you, what, yeah. you, what, I, what am I talking about? Right. So I mean, you could be talking about uh, names that we have for God, right? Okay. So you have the Father, the Son, who's also, the, John calls him the Word and the Spirit. And so mm-hmm. we're, before we even talk about Scripture, we're talking about the ways that God is making himself known. Uh, God the Father makes himself known through the Son, who's also John describes as the Logos or the Word mm-hmm. by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And even in, in John's Gospel, you have, uh, and, and in the other Gospels, of course, you have the Spirit uh, being the one through whom the Son is, is born. Yeah. Yeah. So the Spirit and the Word uh, are two names that we use for two different persons of the Godhead. That's right. Father, Son sometimes called the word mm-hmm. and spirit, Holy Spirit. That's right. Mm-hmm. Right. So if I, if somebody comes up to you, Jackie, at this conference and says, listen, I'm a spirit filled believer. What, like what, what's your, what's the, the first thing that you think about when they say I'm spirit filled? Where does your mind go? I can't say where it goes immediately, but <laughs> the secondary thought uh-huh. is that they just want to emphasize that they have the Holy Ghost. Yeah. You know, I just, I am filled with the Spirit right. of God. Yeah. yeah. So the, so to be filled with the Spirit of God or to be somebody who is filled with the Holy Spirit means that we're somebody who believes that God is who he says he is. That's right. And that he's revealed himself to be this God. That's right. Who's done these things, right? And you want to be close to him right? You mm-hmm. want to have a relationship with God. That's right. Yeah. So when, we, when we're thinking about word and spirit, when I say, what is the word? Okay. Now it may be a person of the Godhead, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, the son of God, the word of God. But if somebody said, okay, Jackie just got off and she got off the stage and she taught the word, what are they talking about? They're typically talking about the Bible. But again, I think it's important that we, we continue to emphasize even the names of the Godhead, because when we talk about preaching scripture, we're not talking about just preaching words on a text. We're talking about preaching the word that is in the text, mm. right? So that's where we get this idea of like a Christocentric, Christotelic. This is about the word of, this is the word of God that is about the word of God. I yeah. did not sense. bring my beeper with me, <sighs> but could you please back up and tell Christ us what? Christ-centered. Yeah. And Christotelic. Uh, he's Christ-centered. <laughs> so you he's use the, two he, big words he, he is for the, the same idea this time? Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. He, he is the he's the topic of the Bible, and he's also the end to which the Bible is pointing. Okay. Yeah. You're very smart. I just make it up. Oh. <laughs> for real. No, he, he's not joking. So like when Jackie, you- part of the fun, part of the fun is to jump on them every time they use yeah. multisyllabic words mm-hmm. in nonsense. Yeah, I just ways. nod in my head like, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, but Christo. no, listen, t- you, this is like a shtick. It, yeah, it is. It on. is because listen, I've heard both of you teach the Bible. Yes. Are you, are you a Bible teacher? Mm. Jackie, are you a Bible teacher? Try to be. You are. Come on. We all just heard you teach the Bible. All right. So the word. You, yeah, exactly. So both of y'all, and you're not like, you're not like, 
coming late to the game. You guys are excellent Bible teachers, no qualifications necessary. So when you think about teaching the Bible, how much of uh, of that kind of Christ-centered are you thinking about when you're preparing? Are you thinking about, like, okay, I gotta get, I'm, I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna be teaching. Is it, is it heavy on your minds when you're thinking about this work? Is it like, man, you start down, you're looking at the passage that you gotta teach, you're, you're prepping a Jude study, right? If you haven't checked out Jackie Hill's Jude study through Lifeway, it's out there. But you're prepping the study or you're about to teach and you're thinking, man, in my process, I gotta make this, I gotta get this to Jesus. Is that something you're thinking about all the time or something you just hope comes out naturally? It depends. Okay. It really depends on the passage. And I actually think that we can overplay that card. So sorry, everybody. I, I agree um, with you. I think that I understand why we talk so much about being Christocentric when we're talking about teaching the text. It's because it was lost for a while yeah. and it's been recently rediscovered. But you can definitely overplay that. Like we can turn um, teaching the scriptures or studying the scriptures into almost a where's Waldo where mm -hmm. we're we're looking and you know, well, how can I make this point to yeah. Christ or how can I make this point to Christ? And um, you know, there are portions of the Bible that Certainly, the Bible as a whole is is marching toward or looking back at uh, at the work of Christ and, and the incarnation, but not every single phrase, not every single paragraph is saying something explicitly Christocentric. And so, I think when we become too slavish to it, why are you smirking at me? You just used a big me? word. I just wanted to make yeah, sure. Yeah. I'm using your. I'm okay. just trying to <laughs> learn something from you and put it into practice. Uh, you're JT, welcome. In yeah. front of a room of women. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> who need to know how to like you more. So. Oh, my gosh. That was good. Man, we just got to take all those body shots today, man. Just wear them. Thank yeah, you, Lord. So, so I think it's a valuable perspective to have about the Bible in general, but I also think you don't have to end every single teaching with, where do we see Jesus in the text? Yeah. Is it something you're thinking a lot about when you come to a passage and you're thinking, all right, I got to teach this passage, but, you know, but I also got to get him to Jesus from this passage. Or? It's, it's not a burden, okay. Um, but I think it's only a burden because I know eventually he's gonna come out at some point. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think earlier when I started to teach and I was a bit ignorant, I guess, to the scriptures, it felt more okay. Make sure this isn't just moralism. Make mm -hmm, sure I just don't mm -hmm. have more application than, mm -hmm. than I have Jesus. Yeah. Um, but I think now I just know it's gonna come out just because it's his word. Mm. And I think that's gosh, that's so insightful because you're talking about like it's just gonna come out like. That is the doctrine of inspiration, That's right. like that God inspired, that he breathed it out so that even in our best attempts to make it more confusing, yeah. right, uh, that when, when we just read it, we begin to encounter this God because it's his very breath, yeah. right? That's why so often when we think about encountering God in scripture, it's not always just through teaching. A lot of times it can just be through the public reading. That's right. I love just sitting in a place and hearing somebody read scripture because even then you can have the encounter with this God who is speaking through his word, right? It doesn't hurt if it's someone like Jackie reading it too. Well, that we helps. were We were laughing. We were back in the green room listening and I, I was like, it ain't fair. She could just stand up and just read the text and everybody <laughs> would be like, yes. Yeah, I've, uh, I've, been, I've been waiting for Bible Gateway to call me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They need a new voice. <laughs> they do. That's true. Um, so when we're talking about the word, we we could be talking about the second person, the Godhead, mm -hmm. the Son of God, mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. But but we could also be talking about the Bible. Yeah. So sometimes we'll say uh, the Word of God incarnate or the Word of God inscripturated. That's right. Right. So the Word of God incarnate, Son of God, Jesus, Word of God inscripturated, the Bible. And those two things are two different things, but they're never two separate things. Mm -hmm. Those two things are meant to kind of organically live 
together. And I think that's, I think the Bible says that for us. So if you were looking at 2 Timothy 3, it's where we basically get our doctrine of inspiration primarily. It is all over the Bible, but this is kind of the hub for us understanding what the Bible actually is. Paul's writing Timothy and he says, all scripture is breathed out by God. And that word is a, if you were looking at the original languages, is a unique word. It's not used a lot in the Bible. It's basically him taking two words and slamming them together. The term is Theos and it's basically Theos means God, and Pneuma is or Numa is spirit, and so he's saying this is the spirit or the breathed out voice of God, mm-hmm. and he's using a word that he doesn't use anywhere else to communicate something very unique about what the Bible is. He's not saying this is just a record of past events or this is something that's profitable for you just to learn things about God. He's saying this is actually where you encounter and meet God. This is this is the spirit wrought or the spirit. Uh, the Spirit's text. And if you continue, he says, it's breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness, that we might be equipped and complete for every good work. And then the next uh, two verses in chapter four, this is 2 Timothy 4, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, so now you have the Son, after you just have the Spirit of God mentioned, who is the judge and the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, to preach the word. Be ready in season and out of, out of season in order to uh, reprove, re- rebuke, and exhort. And here you see Paul tr- trying to do what we're do- what we're trying to do, or I guess we're trying to do what Paul did, mm-hmm. is he's showing you the, the, the primary tool for spiritual formation is God himself. Yeah. He's the one who's doing the shaping and forming. Yeah. It's not mm-hmm. a curriculum. It's not a study. But all of these curriculums and studies that are from the word of God or were being taught from the word of God, it's the spirit of God making the word of God known who is the image of the invisible God. Yeah. Well, and I think you're touching on a piece of um, Christocentricity. Wow. That I have is, a feeling I'm not going to uh, live this one down. Yeah. For that, a while. Is, <laughs> that is often neglected. And that is that we think that if we're going to... Um, teach Christ from the text, that means we're going to share the gospel, right? Or we're going to tell people to repent, um, which is good. You should do that. But um, what you just read to us is that it is capable to equip us for every good work, Mm -hmm. which means that to be Christocentric is not to speak just of justification, but to speak also of sanctification, Mm -hmm. that we are not just called to receive the, uh, the payment for our sin that Christ gave for us, but we are also to then live as he lived yeah. and to do what he has commanded. Yeah, and I think that's why he talks about completeness, yeah. that, that we might be complete or not. I, I don't know if this is the word there. I would, I'd be surprised if it wasn't, though. The Greek word telos, like mm-hmm. that we would, that we'd be shaped and formed to the end for which God created us to be made into the image of Christ. Right. And this is such a comforting reality, right? I mean, so all of us teach quite a bit, right? I mean, you, both of y'all travel a lot to teach. We don't travel as much. Nobody's calling our numbers. No. <laughs> or uh, e- emailing. Or, or emailing. <laughs> um, Nobody yeah. calls. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but, when that ha- but when we teach, it's a great comfort to know. And it should be a great comfort to us, as I know many of you are teachers, and you're teaching, or you're starting up a women's Bible study, or, or you're teaching somewhere in the life of your church, that the Word of God by the Spirit of God is the changing agent. That's right. And that it doesn't matter... Uh, how pro- it's not a matter of our proficiency that's going to make it powerful or not. That's right. Right? I mean, that's good, yeah? No, it's encouraging because I've, I've had moments where I don't feel like I taught as effective 
or as efficient as I could have. Right. And it's usually those messages that people say, man, like that was transformative to the way I love my children. <laughs> right. Man, mm-hmm. I, I got over this porn addiction because you reminded me of what Jesus did. And it's yeah. like, but I didn't say it good, mm-hmm. but it didn't matter. What, it right. was what I said, not how I said it. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's such a kindness of God to use his word to form and forge us like that, even when we miss the mark. Because it happens. I mean, not only do we sometimes just miss it accidentally, like uh, we just miss it accidentally. Sometimes we really are shooting for it, and it just we felt like we did a great job, and and we didn't. Yeah. But at the same time, it's important to remember that we are told to be workers who are unashamed. That we should be able to rightly divide the word yeah. of truth. So, how do you reconcile the idea of that we ought to be skilled, but that even if we're not skilled? the spirit still works through our words. Yeah, I think that's, you know, I was just having this conversation with leaders of our church about proficiency and gifting. Mm -hmm. And I got to say, like, I just feel like the gifting thing is way overblown. Um, I just feel like there's a whole kind of mystique. And that's not to say there aren't people who are anointed, so to speak, in ways that just seem to be incredible to teach and to preach. But I would rather take a hundred faithful teachers mm-hmm. who are C minus than one A plus proficient communicator mm-hmm. every day of the week. I love that you just said this because this is a message for this room in particular. I cannot emphasize enough how important it is for those of you who are serving, particularly in the local church where you're just week in and week out showing up to do the good work. They don't need you to be a lights out teacher who slays every time you stand up. In fact, that is so toxic Mm -hmm. to what you're trying to do. They need you to show up consistently and teach the word faithfully week after week. My favorite place to teach is in my home church. It is in front of the women who know me, like some of them are sitting there in the audience right now. Those are the people who I want to see week after week because if I have a week where I'm not that awesome, like I didn't do the best job, I'm going to come back the next week and we're going to try it again. Mm-hmm. And and they get to get over any fascination with the person who just comes in and drops the bomb and leaves because they understand, oh, this is a fight. I mean, this is a hard thing. And it is it is a slog. I will say it is a joyful slog because it's the thing I know the Lord has given me to do. But it, it has not gotten easier. Like some pieces of it have. Yeah, it's hard. You have to have a long view in it, right? Because it can be easy to come in and, like you said, just drop a bomb of one great message. But you actually don't see a whole lot of... You, you can see some sanctification and change there. But really, I mean, Jen, you just got done teaching your 10th, 10 years of Bible study now, yeah. either at the village or the local church. Like, 10 years. 10 years. That's the kind of, of view that we need to have yeah. in the local church, not mm-hmm. just one-off, standalone messages, but 10 years with the same group of people that you get to do life with. You're walking alongside them, helping them, and teaching them, even if it's some A messages or some C- minus messages, you're just showing up and being faithful. Well, and a lot of the women who are leading the breakouts here are, have been a part of my ministry, and you can ask them about some of my C- minus messages if you would like <laughs> to know about them. I'm sure they'd be happy How to How would advise. you define a C-? minus? I think just where maybe I didn't get to the main point the way that I should have, or maybe just the mechanics were, I mean, there have been weeks where I have invented new words in the middle of it, you know, where you're like, oh, what? Or there was one, I remember one week where I said, and there are two things I need to say about this. First, and I said the first thing, and I had no idea what the second point was. And I just stared at this room full of women. I was like, yeah, I don't know. It's gone. And we just kept on going. <laughs> so, I mean, there are weeks like that. And I think we need, um, for those of you who want to teach, you don't want a big room. You want a small room with people who love you and will help you get better. 
because they're not asking you to be polished. Like being polished, I think, is the is one of the great enemies of, of yeah. wanting to stand up and teach. Because if I'm going to wait until I'm polished at it, I'm probably never going to get there. <laughs> yeah. And in the local church, we ought not to have to have that requirement. It doesn't mean you're sloppy, but it means you're not trying to be shiny when you stand up there. You're just going to do the work. You're going to trust the scriptures to do the work if you put in the work that you're supposed to. This is way off screen. What's your most embarrassing teaching moment? Oh, Jackie, man. you got one? You got you got an embarrassing teaching moment when you were up there and you're like, oh. I mean, uh, they happen a lot. Um, <laughs> I, I think because I'm so tethered to a manuscript, um, I had a, a, a teaching engagement in New York maybe uh, three or four months ago, and my computer died while I was walking <laughs> on the stage. And so, and that's just, when you're, I'm not a gin. Gin can just go off without mm. any notes or bullet points, and that's the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. I have him, but I don't have as much as she does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm a half-spirit field believer. Few of us do, Jack. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but it was great that it was Jude, and uh-huh. so I spent so much time in Jude right. that I was able to still communicate something yeah. that made sense. It's like, I'm just going to read the text really slow. Yeah. For the next to 30 him, minutes. Who yeah, that's is right. able? He's so able. able. Just, just pause and pray on that for a second. Not Cain, but just able. Can we get the band out here again? I'd love for them to play that song one more time. Uh, my most embarrassing teaching moment, JT loves telling this story. I've got a few. I'm not um, sure which one you're going to tell. Well, so we have this thing called the training program, and JT and I were teaching in it together. And um, I, I would uh, about halfway through the teaching time, I was making a point about Abraham and Sarah. And uh, I was like, you know, uh, Abraham definitely swiped left on Sarah. And, you know, I'm, I'm married. I've been married for years. And I was like, and then people looked at me confused about the illustration. I was like, well, you know, it's like, you know, it's like Tinder when you get out Tinder. And you're like, I just read an article about Tinder. So I was like really, imp- I was like pr- impressed that I knew about it. I thought I was being like super culturally relevant. But this group of sanctified believers looked in front of me like, we've never been on Tinder, right? And I explained to them in detail how it worked. <laughs> And the more I talked about, and then I was like, oh man, I, actually, y'all, I just read an article. I've never been on Tinder. But the more I talked about not being on Tinder, the more it sounded like I'd been on Tinder. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, no, I've never been on there. I just read this article. It sounds crazy, though. And people were like, yeah, whatever. Okay, You've been yeah. on Tinder. <laughs> I couldn't get out of it. Sounded it. like a confession. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, it did. It did. I had to break them just to go to the bathroom. I had to go back and cry and pray for a bit. But you have any embarrassing this, teaching moments? It's hard to beat that. Uh, and this wasn't teaching. I was actually, I was doing a wedding. And I almost, whenever I do weddings, I use my Bible and I typically print off what I want in here. So it mm-hmm. looks like I'm reading my Bible, but I'm actually reading my own words. <laughs> Super godly. Wow. But I kind of have like a conviction about it this time. So I decided to use an iPad. And it was an outdoor wedding and it started pouring rain. <laughs> like it wasn't like, it's raining and the bride just, she was like, we're having this wedding outside. There was an indoor venue that we could have gone to. And my iPad, I use Evernote. The, the raindrops were hitting different parts of it, and it was changing to different notes. <laughs> or it was, like, moving up and down, and I was like, I have, no, I have no idea what to say. I'm not even sure if this is, like, if God's going to ordain this marriage right now. <laughs> and so, yeah, we made yeah, it through. And they're married. That's very good. Anything, anything stand out for Mine you? Mine is really, really bad. Okay, I, well, that's, that makes um, it better. I was teaching, uh, luckily it was my weekly women, so there was some grace there, but I was teaching and I was really warming to my theme and they were all, I could tell they were really with me, like they're laser focused. And I tend to gesture a fair amount when I teach. And, uh, and, and at some point afterward, one of the women came up to me and she said, Hey, um, I don't know if you were aware, but your, um, your shirt kind of got hung up on the mic pack and, uh, basically 
I taught for 20 minutes with most of my midriff showing to the whole room. <laughs> Let's just say that that's a part of my anatomy that no one really needs to be looking at. Like it's seen labor and delivery way more than it's seen a beach. And so, uh, and I felt so, so bad for the sound tech who was in fact a male. Um, so bad about so many things about it. And so ever since then, I'm like, oh my gosh, I had a wardrobe, wardrobe malfunction at Bible study. So now I wear like so many layers when I speak mm. places so that if one gives out, I'm... <laughs> you got backups. Got Teaching backups. at a place like The Village can be really scary and intimidating because we have a good te- tech crew, a production crew. Yeah. And they actually have a they Google keep, Drive uh-huh. file called The Good Stuff. Mm-hmm. And if you ever say anything crazy, which happens a lot at The Village, they clip it and it is saved forever. Ever. Yeah. Yeah, and you find people who have that folder that aren't at the. They're village. not like. How did you get access? Yeah, you just to meet them, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I've heard did that you? thing you yeah. said that one time." <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, Jackie, uh, you hear people talk about like uh, uh, you know uh, word versus spirit, or word people and spirit people, and uh, but you you seem to move in and out of crowds that may not like talking to one another so often. Absolutely. Okay, so like there is like, in your heart, there's. Like, I mean, you're stepping in and you're saying, listen, I'm a Bible teacher, mm-hmm. but, but, but I'm filled with the Spirit. So there's no division for you. Mm-hmm. What do you feel like are misunderstandings between those two crowds? Like when they're, when they're talking to you about the other crowd, what are you in your heart going like that? I feel like I wish you guys could just get on the same page here. You want because, me to say names? No, I don't want you to <laughs> say names. sure don't want Please you to say don't names. say names. Okay, that's the only rule in this podcast. Well, there's one crowd uh, that might lean, you know, intellectual, yeah. doctrinal, mm-hmm. um, I think they look at the other crowd and think that they're too emotional, mm. uh, subjective, uh, more prone to experience than, you know, the word. But I think they actually have a sensitivity to how the Spirit of God is still moving mm-hmm. that I think the intellectuals miss. Mm-hmm. But I think on the other side, those who might lean heavy towards experience and call it spirit right. can sometimes miss no We can't trust our feelings to decide reality for us. God has to define goodness. God Mm -hmm. has to define his will. His will is not, oh, the cloud blew left, so that means you need to move to Arkansas. It's it's like we need something. Because nobody needs to move to Arkansas. (laughs) (laughs) God's never told anybody to move to Arkansas. Kyle, half the room's from Arkansas. Oh, for real? Let's see a show of hands. Raise your hand Show of hands, ladies. Sorry. Oh, my goodness. Arkansas. Have you been there? The... It's actually lovely. It didn't matter how beautiful it is. <laughs> Bless you, sisters, in the name of Christ. But, but I don't. I don't. I just. I don't see those kinds of distinctions or binary understandings uh-huh. in even acts. Mm. Right. Like it, they were in the Word and they loved the Spirit and they sat together, ate together, and they sang songs and they cried during the songs and it wasn't looking like, oh, why are you crying? This must not not be real worship. Right. Like I don't know why that's a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think a lot of times for us in our own experience, and I think a lot of it has to do with wiring, we end up kind of falling in one direction kind of natively, yeah. like in our heart, and then we just kind of totalize it. Like, oh, that is my spiritual experience with either kind of moving this direction or moving the other direction is everybody's, yeah. or that's what it should be yeah. for everybody. But you're right, and we've been going through Acts on the podcast last season and this season, and you're right, you see these moments where not moments, but the whole of Acts is a story about how the Spirit of God is moving among his people 
but he's doing it through the word proclaimed. Every time you see the movement of the spirit in the book of Acts, there is an accompanying proclamation of the word. And you often talk about, JT, that the spirit is self-deferential. Yeah. Like that when the spirit shows up, it moves in the heart of people, not to move away from Jesus or away from a focus on who uh, God is in Christ, but towards that. That's right. The spirit is never going to take our attention off of Jesus. He's always trying to put our attention onto Jesus. And sometimes I think the way we talk about this conversation, even, and I understand why we frame it this way, but word and spirit is to suggest, and yes, there are two different things, but ultimately when, when, we, say, when we say word and spirit, we're trying to say this, that these are the same thing, yeah. right? And, and it re- I realize it's not the exact same thing, mm-hmm. but we're not trying to create a further distinction. We're trying to lessen the distinction. Right. We're saying this is the word of the spirit, the spirit and right. the spirit is proclaiming the word to us in a spiritual way way. Yeah. It isn't just an intellectual way. Mm-hmm. This is where we come to encounter and, and meet with God. So I, I'm not sure if I'm saying, yes, there's distinction, but when we say word and spirit, we're not trying to create more of right. distinction. We're trying to actually create less of distinction. Yes, more unity. Yeah, mm-hmm. Two sides of the same coin. Yeah. So moving towards maybe some of those points of most obvious connection between the word and the spirit, the doctrine of inspiration and illumination. Now, if I say the word of God is inspired, what does that mean? I mean, you've already read Second Timothy three sixteen, so it means it's breathed out by God. Right. Yeah. So, in, if you guys have heard, have you guys heard terms used like inerrancy or authority or sufficiency? <laughs> you learned this from me. Is this beeper? I'm just kidding. I caught it last <laughs> night. So oh, you, you did? Yeah. I know. That's oh. Welcome I'm, to the conference, guys. <laughs> but what's really important about about that teaching is that inspiration is the primary category. Yeah. Like the Source. reason yeah the reason we would say that the Bible's authoritative isn't because it says it is, it says that it's inspired, therefore it's authoritative. Because the very words of God. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I feel like someone maybe said that yesterday. I wonder where you Oh, heard. look, it's in someone's notebook right oh, there. Oh, good job. Good notes. No, that's great. Yeah, so... I got to tell you, I was sweating at teaching that. I kind of wanted you guys there to help me. Sounds like you did a great job. Why, but, but why? Uh, well, for one thing, it was a lot to cover in 20 minutes. Sure. Mm-hmm. Those are huge ideas mm-hmm. and, um, and ordering them rightly. And mm-hmm. they're the kinds of things that you really need to percolate on. You really need to spend some time just letting them That's right. sink in because there are implications for it. We talked about seven different aspects of mm-hmm. the, the doctrine of scripture and any one of them could have taken up an hour. Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah. But they all flow from this, this source of, uh, or the, their, Founded in the, the doctrine of, of inspiration, yeah, yes. It's the very words of God. And so, if, but you hear inspiration language used like a lot, right? I mean, like, I'm sure somebody's come up to you about your spoken word and said, man, that was so inspired, or you're so inspirational. Yes. So when they say that, though, you don't think that, I mean, in your, your mind, you're not going, like, oh, that means the same thing about the word of God. No. Right. Yeah. Right. So, but, but you hear that word used all the time. Yeah, I think when I, when I hear I inspired you, I hear I, I ignited something in you mm-hmm. um, for you to do it yourself. So yeah. I inspired you to you know eat vegetables more or wh- yeah. whatever, it might, not because of my poetry, but because of my Instagram post. Like something, <laughs> like you can go out and try to mimic or do the same thing uh-huh. based on what you saw me right. say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, it, a good, that's a good clarifying way to say it because for years I wrestled with getting that feedback because I think I was so accustomed to being in uh, maybe a more typical women's environment where to be inspirational meant that you had told a lot of stories and people had cried and so when people would say it to me I was like but you heard more than just my illustrations right Mm -hmm. you know it kind of threw me off a little bit but I I like the idea that it's an imitative that they want to they want to act on what Well, the word inspired isn't actually the best word in that translation, yeah. which is frustrating. So uh, the, the, like we already, we've already talked about, it's, it's uh, 
theopneustos, God breathed, is, is, the, is the actual term. But the Latin Vulgate translated it inspiratio. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we have just received that down because it became a popular verse. And it, we just talk about it colloquially now. But it actually might be better not to use that word you and know say how to spell that? Colloquial. colloquial. Slang. I, I would need it's theology and slang. You know right? I can spell I would it. Need I know all you can. Gen, just so you guys know, Jen wins every spelling. We do. A, we have a staff retreat every <laughs> I have year. The spiritual gift of spelling. And she wins it every <laughs> single year, it, unless you leave early. You left and early I like, one year. I want to not care. But you care. <laughs> I care so much. That's right. You do. I know. But I told JT, I was like. I was having this thing where I'm like, I really, really want to win. And I told him, and then I realized, this is how you feel all the time <laughs> about every single thing. I'm a little competitive. Yeah, he's a little competitive. But when we say the word of God is inspired, we're, we're not just merely saying it's inspirational. We're saying it's mm. God-breathed, we're which, saying might, it's which God might be breathed. the better translation. Yeah, that it's breathed out by God. And because of that, mm-hmm. it's infallible. It's inerrant, it's authoritative, it's sufficient, it's clear enough, and it's necessary. Mm -hmm. But there's another doctrine, too, that I feel like doesn't get the limelight that inspiration does Mm -hmm. when we're talking about Scripture, and it's illumination. It's illumination. Now, the doctrine of illumination is not the idea that God inspired the Word of God, but that He, by the power of the Holy Spirit, opens up our eyes to read it and understand it rightly. Mm-hmm. That's so, my favorite. Yeah, that's your favorite. Yes. You like that. Why do you like that? Because before I was a Christian, or even when, yeah, before I was a Christian, the Bible made absolutely no sense to me. It was mm-hmm. so confusing. I only read it because I thought I would go to hell if I didn't. Mm. And then when I was a new Christian, it was fascinating how when I would pray, things would start making sense. Mm. And that never happened before. But not only did it make sense, it made me happy. It made me want to worship. And I then had the power to apply what I read and not just store it up. And so I think that yeah. that illumination part gets me going. Well, yeah, you just lit, you just lit up talking about it. <laughs> I that, did. Right? Because it's fun when you open the scriptures and you're praying and saying, like when I was in Jude, Jude is full of some craziness. It's like, what yeah. are you saying, sir? So and, tiny and so nuts. So nuts. Yeah. And you're in, but like sitting with it and working through it and reading commentaries and looking at the Greek and then finally it clicks and it's like that's what you mean. Mm-hmm. I think that moment is very fun. Yeah, it is. So I had a conversation this week with someone about this, and they were saying, you know, do you think you should include inspiration in your acronym that you use of comprehension, interpretation, and application? Do you mean, do you mean illumination, or do you mean inspiration? Uh, illumination. And I was like, well, no, because then it wouldn't say CIA. It would be a weird acronym. It would say <laughs> IKEA. And, uh, but... But I was like, well, no, I would not include it in that because comprehension, interpretation, application are me showing myself a worker unashamed, and illumination is the work of the Spirit. That's right. Mm-hmm. So this is what I do. This is what the Spirit does. And those two things work together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, what I like about it is the, the process of study is, um, is in a sense, uh, bringing order out of chaos the way that, you know, you see in the creation account, like it's taking my, my disordered thoughts and, and bringing them to order by an orderly process of addressing the scriptures. Um, but it is not done in isolation. It's done through the empowerment or, and through the illumination of the spirit. Yeah. But I think that a common misconception out there about illumination is that just me and my Bible will get me where I need to go. Mm-hmm. Anybody got any thoughts on that? 
Um, yeah, I do. Uh, so Me, my Bible, and the Holy Spirit. You're right. And so there is an approach to reading Scripture that you have pushed back on a little bit, and it's the right push against it, because your concern has been that we... But you already slammed Arkansas, so you might want to just... I know, and I'm like, I feel like okay. I'm walking on a sea of glass we, right now. We promised each other we wouldn't do this. I know, and I'm about to do it. <laughs> okay. um, but there's an approach... And You're it, on your own. There's a, there's a Latin phrase that captures it, Lectio Divina. Maybe you've heard this. Nope. Okay, all right. So Jen, Jen but, is going to explode right now. <laughs> but, when I, but when I talk about it, you'll know exactly what it is, right? So like when, if I, if I open up my Bible and I begin to just read it, a Lectio Divina approach might be, okay, I'm going to open up my Bible and I'm going to read it and I'm just going to pray that the Lord will speak to me through his word right now, right? Mm -hmm. So I might read something. I might read Psalm 36, transgression speaks to the wicked deep in the heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. And I might just posture my hands like this and close my eyes. I'm not saying I might, I do this every day. So I'm telling you what I do. Uh, and then I just pray like, okay, Holy Spirit, what would you have me hear from Psalm 36? It is a more devotional approach. It's a more pietistic, a more mystical approach to reading scripture. But the doctrine of illumination is forged in the crucible of the mystic theologians who come to us and help us see that we don't, we don't always need the historical context. One moment, please. <laughs> the, those who crafted this method were not biblically illiterate. Yes, this is true. And so <clears throat> it is one thing to open to Psalm 36 and read it devotionally when you understand the Psalms. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. It is another thing to say, okay, Holy Spirit, I'm just going to flip to a page and you just <laughs> drop it on me. It's like a magic eight ball. Yeah, that is, that is not... Uh, I, I do. I can't get on board with that. And I'm not saying that the Lord never does something like that. But t what I often find is that sounds way easier than trying to get in and yep. actually learn the text. So I'm going to make that my normative approach mm. to the scriptures. And I'm not cool with that. I think that's a really good point about that. The people who forged this are people who had deeply considered, studied, and meditated. And I would also say to bring it back to last year where we disagreed. We did. They had the rule of faith. They had the rule of faith. They knew what they knew the doctrinal kind of the, yes, guardrails yes. to be able to drive had, on this road. They had the right matrix to work with. Yeah. It's kind of like when people will say, um, uh, like they'll talk about Charles Wesley and like what a great poet he was. Mm -hmm. like, he wasn't just a great poet. He was incredibly biblically literate. And so he's able to do things with words that are responsible to the text because he just knew the Bible really well. Yeah. And so I think that the same is true with wanting, I understand the impulse to want to read devotionally. Um, I, I also would just counter that by saying that I don't understand reading the Bible that is not ultimately devotional. Yeah. I think at some point sure. that's when it, you know, when it hits, that's the spirit doing the work of illumination. But, but um, the other thing, I think the other beef I have with that approach is it is an instant gratification. It tends to devolve into an instant gratification approach to the scriptures of, mm. I'm going to sit down and read this, and in my timing and according to my wishes, the Lord will tell me what I need to know from and, this. And I, I don't think people ask that kind of question of God reading Zephaniah. That's mm. right, or Leviticus. It's, it's like the Psalms, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. It could be, but in, in Zephaniah, I mean, he's saying, mm. you know, I rejoice over you in song. I mean, how many times I've been, I've been in Zephaniah 3 saying, God, I just want to... I don't to think people make it to chapter 3. <laughs> <laughs> well, your next study is going to be through Zephaniah, right? Probably you're going to get them all the way there, all the no, way to the no, finish line. No. So maybe we could say it this way, that the doctrine of illumination can often be used to encourage us to neglect the hard work of observation, yes. interpretation, application. We're saying, don't use the doctrine of illumination as a tool to neglect the hard work, 
but rather as an assurance that when you do the hard work, the Holy Spirit is going to make that work fruitful and productive. And also don't use the doctrine of illumination to isolate yourself from theology done in community. That's right. Yeah, I agree. The spirit, and I, you know, this is the thing, like, as we've been going through Acts together that just keeps hitting me again and again, and we, we won't get into it today, but we have an ongoing debate about the role of the Spirit. Uh, but I do think what we see that is a new thing in the book of Acts with regard to the work of the Spirit is the Spirit working not just through an individual, but through the church. That's right. And so we should expect that illumination would be something that occurs as part of us gathering together and opening the scriptures in community. Amen. And I would even add to that, not just the community from today, but Spirit-filled people should be church historians Mm -hmm. because the Spirit didn't start working in your Bible study and the last time we did something was at Pentecost. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? But we can act like that sometimes like we finally figured it out you know we finally have come to this conclusion and actually the spirit has been teaching and jesus says the spirit of truth is going to lead his church into truth yeah and so if, if we want to be word people and spirit people it also means and we're, and we're doing theology and community it also means that community includes the community of the last 2,000 years. Yeah. Well, and how many times have I come into your office or had a conversation with you where I'm like, I'm seeing this thing mm-hmm. and I'm afraid I'm the first person who's ever seen it. Yeah. And you're like, no, that's been around for forever. And so part of you is like, you think you'd be like, oh man, I thought I found something new, but instead you're like, oh, thank goodness, I'm <laughs> yeah. not a heretic today. Right. You know, and but... But I do think you start to find the patterns. You yeah. start to mm-hmm. see what's there. Uh, but to have the assurance, yeah, you always want the assurance of, yeah, you're not the first person who saw this. Um, and that's really what birthed this. And our greatest hope in doing things like this isn't isn't just that you would listen, but that you would then have the conversations with people that are at your church or you're driving home from this conference and you're saying, what are you learning? What is God teaching you? And, and how might that help me? Because there are also the times where I've thrown something out there and you're like, yeah, don't say that. Don't do that. Don't say that into a microphone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, which we need Which is what I ne- we and, need. Yeah. And then you just ran into it and did it. <laughs> Right? <laughs> no, heck no. All right, you, so, would, you would know. The internet would tell no, you. No, for sure they would. Um, <laughs> yeah. I got a Google alert set up for your name. Um, <laughs> well, quit your day job. <laughs> for sure. Uh, so, hey, listen, if you want to ask a question in about five minutes, we're going to move to questions. You can go to sly.do, hashtag KF Live 2020. If you want to submit a question, just two last ones before we move towards uh, audience questions here. Can I read and understand scripture without the involvement of the Holy Spirit? Jackie, what do you think? I read and understand scripture without the involvement. I don't think I'm smart enough to answer this question. Well, just this is this is my tension. I I went to a uh, a panel that had these uh, these really really smart PhD religion course people who so JT. Okay, (laughs) I was like, here it comes. They weren't two one. They would call themselves Christian, right? But they were not Christian. But right. they had very clear understanding mm-hmm. of Christian stuff. You even have, I think, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They they mm-hmm. had some sense of how to read the scriptures right, but they were super off in other ways. And so I often have this question of how is it that they are coming to right conclusions and yet very wrong conclusions all at the same time? Mm-hmm. Like is the Spirit inspiring or illuminating the right ones, even if they don't have him. Does yeah. that make sense? It makes perfect sense. I think you're living in the right tension because mm-hmm. you're right. There's a sense in which the, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees knew their Bibles really well, but it, there's another sense in which they're completely ignorant of it because they're missing the main point in meaning. Yeah. Like you have Jesus saying to Nicodemus, how could you be a teacher of the law and not know these things? Right. So it's not just that the Pharisees and Sadducees were the most biblically literate people and they just were walking around you know, hitting people with their Bibles. It was actually... 
they knew some verses, but they were missing the underlying meaning, the they coming of the Messiah. Living in a false story. Yeah, it was a false story. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. But you're living in the right tension. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we all have to be, and that's why this conversation is important, that we all need to be aware of, is it's not enough just to have verses for something, uh, because you could be a religion you know, professor and major yeah. who's doing really challenging like text-critical work or historical work in the Old and New Testaments and not be full of the Spirit of God. And it looks like you know a lot of things. Which is terrifying. Which is terrifying. Because people listen to them because they sound good. That's right. But you've missed Jesus. Yeah. So what's the role of the Holy Spirit in preparing to teach? So so it's integral to reading and understanding, but what's the role of the Holy Spirit in outside of just the, the doctrine of illumination? What is the Holy Spirit doing as we're preparing to teach? I mean, yes, he's illuminating, he's opening our eyes to the text. Is that all he's doing? Is that? He's For, humbling. I yeah. think he humbles oh, us. I think yeah. that's one of the main things is like, if I can't stand to teach this having first like been punched in the face by it myself, then I've not sought mm. for the Spirit to speak through this text. Because then what are you going to do? You're going to beat other people down with the message that you yourself haven't submitted yourself to. And so I think one of the main ways I think about the role of the Spirit in teaching is that I have to first be broken by the teaching mm. in order to be able to offer it to others. Mm-hmm. I think so. or, or or exhorted or encouraged. I shouldn't act like every message is a beatdown. For sure. Yeah, I, I think um, even so. I finished my message today at seven a.m. in the airport, and <laughs> <laughs> thanks to the spirit. Or the Holy Spirit. <laughs> in some, in thanks some for showing up, spirit. <laughs> yeah. And when I got to the point about Jesus being a suffering servant, as uh, understood in the Gospels. I didn't want to just say, okay, he died for our sins. And so I'm like, Lord, how do I connect this to Isaiah 53 and how I connected it? It was like me. I was like, God, you have to help me. Like, I don't, I don't know what to say. And I can feel the pressure to just make it up because I'm rushing, but that's when you get off and biblically inaccurate. And I think what I saw Jesus do, I went to the Bible project and I just started watching videos and then they helped me land on atonement and that helped me land on ransom. And that helped me land Mm -hmm. on all these things that I wouldn't have thought about. Mm -hmm. I think if I did not ask God to meet me, you know? And so I think those types of ways in which the spirit will point you to other resources that help your ideas come together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. I I find that one of the, the, the key things that the Lord tends to do as I'm preparing is bring me to a place of like desperation and dependence and just where, you know, you get to a place where you're wrestling with the text and you feel like you have done the work that you're supposed to do. Like you've studied right. it and you've done your preparation and you've really kind of mined it and you've got into the language and you've got into the words and you've gone to the commentaries and you're just wrestling with it and you feel like, I need something, some kind of clarity here because I just don't have it. Yeah. Um, and bringing it to that place where he just humbles you um, and brings you to a place where you just feel like, I, am, I need you to move here. Because yep. apart from that happening, doesn't it, this is not going anywhere. This is not getting off the ground. That's right. And you, but you also then have the assurance that the, the one who inspires the text illumines the text for us. And our hope isn't in being good communicators, but the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit also doing the work of illumination in the people that we're teaching. Right. Mm-hmm. And so if you are teaching in the life of the local church or anywhere, it's not up to you. Yeah. You do the hard work. You ask God to humble you and to illumine his text for you. But you also have to ask him to do the same thing for your audience. Yeah. It's not like it all of a sudden, you know, is up to us. It's not up to us when we do it or when, when we're asking God to teach us. It's up to it's up to the Holy Spirit. It's the same thing for the people who we're trying to teach. Yeah. Hey, we got questions. You did. Okay, here's the first one. Okay. 
Uh, this is advice for people who are trying to get Bible studies off the ground in the local church, specifically women's studies. What advice would you give to a, a group of women, a leadership team, or to a church that's trying to move kind of beyond socializing or maybe mm-hmm. topical things into deep, rich Bible study? I have so many thoughts. Um, so I think the initial impulse is kill what you didn't like and start the new thing, and that's not a great impulse. First of all, we need to recognize that um, women are, the desire to gather is what brings them to the church. So we do want to honor that, or, or to the living room. And, you know, they have a desire to, to, to gather and to share with one another. Um, but what we want to do is we want to provide enough structure to where it's also going to be a learning environment, and we set a clear expectation that that's what it's going to be. But uh, if you just sort of offload what was happening before, you communicate that you're making a hard right turn away from community, and that's really not what you want to do. You want to have learning in community. You want to give them a better thing, not a wholly different thing. Well, I would I would argue it's a, there are certain times when you should just gather to have community and, and, and sharing, but if you're going to call it a Bible study specifically, then study the Bible and have aspects of it that are for gathering and for sharing. So um, I would say start doing the better thing. And then if you're the one who's responsible for budgets or calendars, then over time, if you just start handing the microphone and shifting the resources more to the thing that you're hoping will grow, uh, then then women will... And, and, and here's the deal. When you make this turn and you start offering content-driven environments that are structured in a way that women can trust what you're doing and know, oh, I am going to make friends and I'm also going to learn the scriptures... It does not blow up overnight. It's a slow boil. They need to come and they hear, like I've told this before, I started with seven women in my living room and at the end of the semester, two of them were still with me. And those two went and brought two friends because they were never going to study the Bible the same way again. Mm -hmm. And it went like that. So be patient with it. Let it prove itself worth their time, but you don't have to kill the other thing to start the, the, the new thing. That's good. That's good. Nothing. Can I say something? Um, I mean, I'm not the subject matter expert Please. on this, but so one of the things that we actually are developing a subject matter expert view on this as a church planter. We're trying done this from day one. We're That's trying. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I, I might encourage you, if you're trying to create a, a, a Bible study or a dedicated environment for women to study the Bible together, and this might seem so silly, and I know it is, but the pastors of your church are probably are probably men, and Go to them and, and help them see that there are structural issues uh, that women face that are going to be prohibited from them studying the Bible in ways that are highly conducive for men. And help them understand that like just the small group community group setting is not going to be a good fit for you. Like it blew me away whenever somebody like a, a lady came and told me like, hey, you realize we cannot get up at 630 in the morning to study the Bible. We've got responsibilities that are being offloaded to us. And that was me. Yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> this lady. Um, uh, but I just... I. I know it's it's so it was so arrogant on my part and so self-centered. It's not. It's just a blunt. It's just a, you don't know what you don't. Know. I did not understand that the the way that you could just like create an opportunity for men to study the Bible. I thought, well, you could do you could just mimic that for women and it will work, and it doesn't. Uh, and you know that, but your pastors don't feel that. Even if they can answer the right questions, they don't help them feel that. So that that way they see the value of a dedicated environment that is structurally advantaged towards women. They want that. They just don't know that it can't happen on the terms that it would happen for men. I know that may sound crazy, but it's true, and it'll bless a pastor, I promise you. So. Well, but if it doesn't bless the pastor, just in case. Um, 
because this is this is a question I get a lot mm -hmm. is my leadership doesn't want to hear this from me. I don't know what to do. I, I feel burdened to do this and I don't know what to do. My church is not going to start this. That makes me super sad. But um, then it's like, well, so what do I do? Why do I have this desire in me? There is nothing, nothing stopping you from opening your living room. It's not disrespectful to your church. You can even say, I understand that you don't want to have an organized thing at the church. I would like to do something in my neighborhood. No pastor in his right mind is going to say, I would prefer you not do that. You know that, please don't evangelize your neighborhood through Bible study or whatever. Uh, and just go do it. Just go do it. You will, you will um, it is harder. I'll tell you straight up. It's harder to do it in your living room. I don't know. There's trade-offs on what's hard on both environments. But um, it, it, it's, it's a win. I mean, if it's what the Lord has for you to do, you need to do it. And don't, don't spend your years waiting for permission to do what, what is good for um, these women that you want to give it to. Yeah, that's good. Next question. Go for it. This is a, this is a really good one. Uh, so thinking about the doctrine of illumination, what do you do if, let's just say, Jen and I were reading a Bible text and we come to a disagreement, which has never happened before? Never. <laughs> How do we know if, we've, if I've been illuminated or she has? Like, at, at what point, if, if we're saying the, the, the Holy Spirit helps us come to an understanding of the Bible, but yet we disagree? Let's just poll the room and see who they think is right. <laughs> well, I think... <laughs> speaking about structural... <laughs> yeah, what do you do? Yeah, what, what do you do? I don't know, but I do remember listening to y'all's conversation about complementarianism, mm -hmm. and I feel like you made a really good point about how, you know, if you're a soft complementarian or a hard complementarian, like, it's not that we're heretics to be on one side or mm -hmm. the other, but you actually defined it in some really good terms. Well, I think you're hitting on the main point is, what are we disagreeing over? Is it mm -hmm. something that is a matter of orthodoxy? Uh, and if you if you think about it, most of the things people are yelling at each other about are outside of the closed fist. Yep. And they just seem to think that that is good for our witness. So they do it online. So uh, I would just say, ask a question of how essential... Now, we should have, like, we have vigorous disagreements on the podcast for your benefit about things that we disagree about or that we're processed. A lot of times... People just need a place to say it out loud and hear it get pushed back. Mm -hmm. uh, but we are living in a time where it's, no, I shout at you and you shout at me, and we're not actually having dialogue. And, and so that's a big piece of this, too, is like humility says, I, I think this is what this means, but can we talk it through? Yeah. And then even if we end up disagreeing, we still are charitable toward one another. I just, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think the most, the first thing we should say is you both can't be right. That's right. Right. We need to say that if you're coming to two different conclusions, it means either you're both wrong or one of you is wrong. And, <laughs> and that's entirely okay. People are so afraid to be wrong when it comes to theology. But the reason we're here at conferences like this, or the reason we go to church or do Bible studies, isn't to perform the things we know, but it's to learn the things that we don't know. Yeah. And so anytime we're entering a learning environment, we're not saying, I'm here because I know everything. We're saying, I'm here because there's things that I don't know that I'd like to know, which should create not an environment of competition and performance, but rather an environment of conversation and charity. And so in, in, when you're in, in, you know, when you're trying to set up a learning environment in the life of the church, that kind of culture is really, really important. And it also isn't really uh, done very often. Mm -hmm. And so what we've tried to do, and, and what I want to encourage you to do is if you can set up an environment where it's okay to be wrong, that's in your really, living room. Really, yeah, in your living room. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really helpful. And then you're able to engage in charitable dialogue and conversation. 
So if you got the charity there, like if you've got the like, okay, we're going to hold these with open hands and we're going to talk about this in a kind and gracious way. Some next steps might be, okay, if we're talking about a biblical passage in particular, let's study it together. So let's study it within the community of the church. So let's talk to some, let's bring some other brothers and sisters into mm-hmm. this to talk about it together because maybe they see it differently or they'll help us see this more clearly. I right? think also we have the idea that we should be able to have one conversation about it right. and resolve the the, the problem. And uh, again, it's that instant gratification impulse that we've been trained into by the way we've been resourced or taught. And we have to set that aside. Like we may have a conversation about the role of the Holy Spirit between the three of us for the next 10 years, Lord willing. And that is also okay. Mm-hmm. I think another way to approach it is I think even in the sexuality discussion which I'm in a lot mm-hmm. is even being willing to push back against motives because mm-hmm. motives are a, can be a big part of interpretation um, just because I've had conversations with people the conclusion they're coming to isn't the right one right. but they want it to be because they want mm. God to be less than what he is yeah. you get what I'm saying and mm-hmm. so I think sometimes you just have to be discerning and wise to say I think you want this scripture to say this because you want to be able to have the freedom to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, so. so instead of answering the argument, yep. answer the, the, the heart. motive behind the argument. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. really good. That's we good. have to do that with kids a lot with parenting. That's so true. It's, it's also a good thing to do in just any respectful conversation. Yeah. That's good. I'm going to see if we can do everybody answer this question. And I'm kind of taking two questions and making them one. It's a question about resources. First, what would be a resource you'd point people to if you can point them to on the doctrine of scripture? And then also, if uh, somebody's new to Bible study and is wanting to read something other than the Bible to help them read the Bible, what would you point them to? So two books or resources that you would say, this helps me understand the doctrine of Scripture, what Jen taught on last night, inspiration, illumination, those things. And then what would be a book that would help you understand the story of the Bible? As this is what, that's what the conference is on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, we've used... um uh, Don Carson's The God Who Is There a lot at the village. For the you, story of the Bible. For the story of the Bible. And you guys have a really good one you use in the training program. Yeah, we use one called this, and I can't recommend it highly enough. If you're still kind of like working through these, like, sessions, like I don't know what the uh, historical books are, or the mm-hmm. prophetic books. Mm-hmm. Uh, a book by Craig Bartholomew and Michael Goheen called The Story of no, drama, the drama, of sorry, the drama of Scripture mm-hmm. is fantastic. Yeah. It's very accessible. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's good. Yeah. Um, Calvin's Institutes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, I mean, Kyle, seriously, if you have Is John Calvin paying you no, to say that? I no, I mean, like it's public mean, domain. You can get it off cut. Google. Google John Calvin's Institutes. No, I mean, definitely John Calvin's Institutes. You should read that for sure on both topics. But, but if I was given one that was not Calvin, then I would say for the doctrine of scripture, it would, I think taking hold of God's word or taking God at his word, it's Kevin DeYoung's book on scripture. It's oh, yeah. really good. It's short. It's like 140 pages. It's very clear, short chapters. It's really good. So Kevin DeYoung, taking hold of God's word or taking God at his word. I forget the title. And then for the story of scripture, if I was going one outside of drama, I really like the book, The Presence of God by Ryan Lister. It's yes. very, very good. He's giving you a theme, so he's going to drive it. It's not going to be real open-ended. He's got kind of like a thesis or like a major theme that he's tracing through scripture. But man, is it a good book. So I think a really approachable option is even better than Eden, Nine Ways the Bible yes. Story Changes Everything About Your Story by Nancy Guthrie. It's a great book. And yeah. we actually had Nancy come do a forum on that at the village. And so that content is online if you you want to go look for it. It's cool. It's a great question. That's a good answer, Jackie. Good it was. job. 
Amazon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I love going up on Amazon too. This production of scripture for me, J.I. Packer, is a really helpful theologian, and he actually has a book called Concise Theology, which will walk you through every major doctrine in in a chapter. So you wouldn't have to read a whole book to get a doctrine of scripture, but just uh, the chapter is really, really good. Well, and I love along those lines, Essential Truths of the Christian Faith, R.C. Sproul book, um, where he's going to give you a flyover of every one of the major doctrines you'd find in a systematic theology book. If, if I'm getting kickbacks from Calvin, you're getting them from Sproul. For sure. <laughs> I wish. So. Okay. Uh, how do you develop teachers in the local church? Like, how do you know if you maybe have the gift or that you want to develop the gift of teaching? Like, how do you, how do you develop a group of either men or women who can be teachers in the local church? Um. If they say, I want to do what you do, I have some follow-up questions. And you've helped me with this, JT. You you say when someone says, I want to teach, you always, your first thing you ask is, well, tell me where you're teaching. Uh, Which I was like, gosh, that is, you are right. Like, if someone has got that in them, then they're doing it somewhere, no matter how hard it is. Even if it's just with one other person, they're finding outlets for it because it's burning inside of them. Um, And then the next thing I do is I start to throw as many obstacles in the way of me helping them as I can. Uh, I do, because, um, because, first of all, I mean, I'm at a big church, you know, where just because you walk into my office and say you want to teach doesn't mean that I can allocate time for that because it wouldn't be fair to the other things that I'm responsible for. So I'm going to say, where are you teaching? Tell me what you've done. Uh, And then I'll say, you know what? Great. I'm glad you want to teach. You um, follow along with what we're already doing at the church. Follow along a week behind. I'll tell you the commentaries we're in. Um, You can listen to our teachings before you teach it, but you should make your teaching outline before you listen to our teach. I'll tell you straight up, those of you who've utilized the the video resources that I have out there, this is what I hope you would do once you get to the point where you've identified teachers. Don't keep putting my face up there. Find the girl who wants to be teaching in your church and then say, you know what? Here's the commentaries. Um, Listen to Jen's teaching before you teach, but after you've put together your own teaching outline, and then um, we're going we're gonna to review what you did, and we're going to give you feedback, because one of the things that most women are missing are good feedback loops, and it's you have to be so vulnerable to ask for it, and you need to ask the right people. You need to ask someone who can give you the feedback that you need, uh, and then you're going to get better over it. Then you have to allow yourself to start out clunky and trust the spirit. You yeah. know, and, and be in a room where everybody is for you. So I, I put it, I put the monkey back on her back, basically, and say, you go do some hard work. And then if that's a girl who's going to rise up through um, the ranks to a place where I'm going to put her in front of a bigger room of people, we will know. Yeah. If it was up to me, I would throw them in a Sunday school. Yeah. yeah, oh yeah. Weekly. Just, weekly. Just, just teaching children mm. makes you a better teacher because mm-hmm. yeah. you just have to simplify very lofty, mm-hmm. heavy things and just make it easy and fun or you see that they're not paying attention they start to play with the little toys how do i cry and i think me teaching teenagers mm-hmm. helped me to be a d- better sure. teacher to adults that's, yeah i think that's a great way to like it may that person wanted to teach kids all right let's see if they like, like try to grow that a little bit no. so a simple thing we did is we created a teaching and preaching cohort yes. and then we just said we'll do it twice a year and if you're interested in preaching or teaching come to this cohort and there's no entitlement that you'll ever teach in the life of this church, but we are committed to helping you grow as a teacher or a preacher. And that's then we a just we beautiful just run thing it. if you get buy-in from pastoral staff, and that's something we do at the village too. And we do it's men and women, mm-hmm. and um, they teach the same passage yeah. 
all on the same day. They get to hear who went before them. A safe then, environment to fail. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We record them. That can be one of the most helpful things as a teacher is watch yourself. It can also be one of the most painful things yeah, as a teacher. Sound. I heard you are exactly <laughs> like, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's been really like good. My eyes are bleeding. Yeah. I can't watch anymore. Yeah. Doesn't really sound like that. Okay, next question. Head versus heart knowledge. Do you think you should know which way you lean and then work on the other one? What is the relationship between the head and the heart in study? Have you said something about this before, Jen? (laughs) I'm waiting for the line. (laughs) I mean, you definitely need to know which way you lean. You definitely need to know which way you lean. If you um, love ideas more than people, you're going to run into big trouble. Part of part of loving God with your heart means that you love your neighbor, right? And so if you love the idea of Scripture but not how it actually interacts with your relationships with God and others, then that's going to be a problem. Uh, I would argue that in, women, in rooms of women, the more typical lean is toward heart and not toward head, and that's not our fault. It's, it's um, driven by some larger forces that have been at work in the church. And so, um, but then if you're the girl in the room who is more heady, you have to really guard against pride or self-righteousness or just anger uh, or loneliness. You have to tell yourself, no, the reason I'm this way is so that I can help shape this. Um, I would argue, and I have argued quite loudly, that the path to the heart is through the head, um, that the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. We are absolutely driven by our desires, but our desires are reshaped by beholding God and wanting to be conformed to the image of Christ, and we behold Him in His Word. So um, the idea that you can just make yourself feel differently is nonsensical. You can't just start feeling differently. There has to be something that changes the equation for you, and we are called to love God with our minds. And that, I believe, is the mechanism. Well, and it's, again, doing theology together, but also learning from church history, that is one of my favorite lines of yours, but it's also something that's been said by the church for a very, very long yeah, time. Yeah, apparently I ripped off Augustine slightly but this is important. Yeah. So just, Which makes just, me actually feel better. <laughs> right. So uh, I don't, you guys don't know my story, but I came to faith in college. And so I, I grew up in a fairly intellectual environment, but I was always the the stupid kid. Like, I'm serious. I got into college on probation. That's surprising. I, I, I just didn't think... He's like, got some stories. Mm. Yeah. I just... I did not know the Lord. I didn't That's grow up in church. That's why your loose. That's exactly right. <laughs> showing, yeah. Just, showing your true colors. This is, self, this is self-expression right here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now you guys know me. But, so, I, I grew up in an environment where the intellect, intellect was prized, but I, didn't, I felt like I didn't have it. And so, I got by on social skills or by playing sports. Those are the things that I thought were valuable. Then the Lord saved me, and I wanted to apply the intellect that I never thought I had utilize, yeah. to, to the scriptures. Um, and what I've found is that, and this is a conversation we need to have as church leaders and as evangelicals, is we often view ourselves as far more intellectual than we actually are. Right. And so part of this is taking a good look in the mirror and realizing we're not nearly as smart as we think we are. (laughs) We're not nearly as heady as we think we are. In fact, most of the world uh, looking at us, it's not just that they disagree with our ideas, it's that they disagree with how we're doing it. Like we, we typically are not over intellectualizing the faith. It does happen. I've been in environments where it happens. But in my, in my short time of leading in the life of the local church, uh, I want transformation. I want heart transformation, but I, I want to make sure that we're not uh, 
there's a slippery slope on both sides, I guess is, is what I'm trying to say. And so uh, both are essential. We want to be integrated people, people who have had our hearts transformed and our minds transformed. And the, the, the line that you use, Jen, is really Augustine. He uses two categories that I, that I just want to introduce quickly that are can be a bit technical, but they're important. He calls one scientia. That's where we get the word science. And he uses like that's intellectual knowledge. And the other word is sapientia, and that's where we get the word sappy, like it's more heartfelt and emotional. And it's basically the heart can't love what the mind doesn't know. And what are you as teachers able to do? Can you change somebody's heart? No. only the, And he, so he would say only the Holy Spirit does the, the heart work. Mm-hmm. Our responsibility is to do the mind work so that the Holy Spirit can do the heart work. Yeah, that's good. Thank you all so much for your questions. Those were great questions. And uh, we would love to talk as for as long as possible. I'd love to just talk with you about your podcast. I'm a fan. <laughs> Tell us about it. I'll I'm, listen to a few. Yeah, it's a yeah. little more ratchet than this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 30 Minutes with the Perrys, me and my husband, we sit inside of a closet during nap time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Praying that no one wakes up. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And we, I would do that anyway, whether I was podcasting or not. Really? But it's nice that you're using that. That's a very co- quiet place. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we just talk about the things that we feel like talking about. Yeah. It's a great show. Thank you. And it's a great resource. Listen, a couple of things as we go from uh, here today, there is a couple of things that we wanted to let you know about. The first one is a podcast that's coming out called God's Big Story. It's a new podcast for kids and for families. And the first season is on the life of Jesus. That comes out in February sometime. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's coming up soon. You can find it out at TVC Resources or on podcast channels, wherever you get your podcast. God's Big Story, a podcast specifically for kids and family. Season four of Knowing Faith kicks off soon here and uh, we're pumped for that if you haven't checked out Jackie's Jude study through Lifeway now this caused me some grief why I gotta be honest with you okay so let me tell you why we did a study we wrote our curriculum through Jude Okay. And we and it was weird. I wish I knew that. I, I would have used it as a resource. No, because no. here's what happened. It was weird, and we and we messed up some stuff, and some women went through our study, and then yours came out. They're like, oh, check this out. And now they're coming to me going, Pastor Jackie says you're wrong about this. <laughs> and it turns out I was. You just corrected me in really? published form. Oh, yeah. We I, need to talk about that. Well, we, uh, we will. You've already talked to me about it through your curriculum. <laughs> but if you, haven't che- if you haven't checked out Jackie's study on June. Spirit through Lifeway or 30 Minutes with the Perrys, you should totally do that. Listen, if there's anything that you'd like to know more about, you can come find us. We'll be right here uh, when we're done. Uh, at least I will. The rest of these people might run away. And that's it. That's it. See you next time. Grace and peace. Thank you guys for coming. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming.